By now you'll have heard or seen that I'm working with a new golf app called Tangent, who are also sponsoring this show. It's the smartest AI caddy in golf and is able to recommend not only clubs to hit, but target locations based on the math behind strokes gained and your own personal shot patterns. Unlike many other shot trackers, it also takes into account and adjusts for hazards that are out there. It has sensorless tracking with an amazing automatic swing detection that you can use with your Apple Watch or your phone without any need to buy any attachments for your clubs. And my favorite part, the post-round analysis data helps you immediately see where you can improve and gives you simple breakdowns that you can dive into if you want much more detail about your stats. It then links this data to recommendations and actual practice drills that you can use to improve. Getting measurable data for both on-course and practice drills makes Tangent one of the best game improvement ecosystems that I've ever seen. So download Tangent for free on the Apple App Store or at tangent.golf and use promo code SWEET30, that's S-W-E-E-T-3-0, for 30% off. So you'll get a free trial, and if you like it and want to continue, it'll give you 30% off a subscription. So just try it out, play a few rounds with it, and I know you'll love it. So that's Tangent, T-A-N-G-E-N-T, and enter code SWEET30. Welcome back to another episode of The Sweet Spot. This is John Sherman from Practical Golf, and as always, I'm joined by... Adam from Adam Young Golf. This episode of The Sweet Spot is brought to you by our friends at the Indoor Golf Shop. They're the place to go online for setting up a simulator in your home or your business. They've got all the major brands of launch monitors like Foresight, SkyTrack, Unicore, and FlightScope. And they make enclosures, screens, hitting mats, pretty much anything you're going to need for your indoor studio. If you need help, you can give them a call directly, talk to their experts. You can ask for Gerald or Hunter. I know they've helped plenty of other Sweet Spot listeners and they can help you decide what's going to fit in your garage, media room, and basement based on your budget and technology requirements. So thanks for their support, and you can check them out at shopindoorgolf.com. So Adam, I guess it was a few weeks ago at this point, you had sent out a tweet. It's a little bit about alignment and shot patterns, kind of got me interested in this topic. I've wanted to talk about it for a while, but you sent out a tweet that kind of made me jump on it and be like, okay, now we're going to do an episode about okay. that. So why don't you tee us off here about our topic for this week? Yeah, so I was at Edgewood Tahoe, which is a beautiful golf course, probably the most beautiful I've ever played, in fact. And I was just practicing on the range, warming up, and I'm hitting pretty good shots towards the target. And for some reason, I decide... Now let's just check my alignment and I stick a club down and I find that uh, oh I'm aiming way off to the left maybe not you know not horrendous but enough to warrant a response from me so I decide to put the club down on the ground line it up towards the target or parallel and left and just start hitting balls again and as I'm standing there I, I feel like I'm aimed way to the right here and I start blocking everything to the right and then I start snap hooking it a little bit because I'm trying to get the club face back onto the target and so in other words I was hitting good shots when I was not lined up correctly or textbook and then when I lined up correctly or textbook I started hitting worse shots so I took the club away from the ground I said oh I've got to go out in five ten minutes I'm just going to go with whatever my body is producing and so I went back to what felt comfortable for me and so 
you know, that's not a call for everybody to say alignment doesn't matter at all or it's completely irrelevant or go out and line up in the worst way possible. I'm certainly not saying that. But I am saying that alignment is overrated. There are certain situations where lining up in a non-textbook way can actually be better or beneficial for you, as I found. And we're going to go through that today. So I know someone tweeted us and they said, I know you guys will, but how on earth can you talk for an hour and a half about alignment? And trust me, the notes that I've got on this, we could talk for an hour and a half, no problem. <laughs> we didn't talk about this before the show. I had that same tweet bookmarked because <laughs> right. I was going to pick on that person as well. Okay, so the cliff notes, the TLDR, Toglid, what does that stand for? Too long, didn't read. Too long, yeah. Yeah, yes. is, uh, is alignment is overrated. Don't go out and try and be your worst with alignment, but it doesn't have to be absolutely textbook in order for you to play your best golf. So that's the TLDR on this. So John, where do you want to start? My opinion is not too dissimilar either. I've always viewed alignment as being something very personal. Like many things in golf, there is no right answer. So, you know, watching players on TV, which I've said many times can be a mistake for expectation management, but it's something I've always looked at when watching, you know, the best in the world play. So for example, like two players come to mind, Bubba Watson and Sergio Garcia. If you stopped them on the television, and I know cameras can play tricks with angles, but if you look at where their feet were aligned and where their target probably was, like totally different directions. And then you have other players who are more quote unquote textbook who are trying to be very neutral and down the line and they're grinding with their alignment rods. And if you go to any PGA tour stop every week, you know, this is something that they work on. Like it is, you know, you don't want to necessarily lose it, so to speak. It's just something that it shouldn't shock people that I probably have some unorthodox methods with alignment, but you know, it's something I pay attention to over the years. I don't use alignment rods. I will do what you we're talking about on the range sometimes. If I feel like I'm getting out of sync, I will address the ball and then place a club, you know, where my feet were and then just walk backwards and see where that was pointing. And then sometimes I will notice like, whoa, you're really closed right now. You know, your feet are way too far right of the target. Maybe that's why you're hitting this big hook right now. So yeah, I believe it's personal. I think there's a different answer for everyone. I mean, me personally, as the year's gone on, I've probably gotten more neutral in the sense that my feet aren't as closed anymore. I'm probably closer to the target with my alignment than I was before. And those can be two different things. I think we'll get into that. But yeah, I don't think, you know, having these straight, perfect lines and having your feet perfectly aligned in, in one direction, like that doesn't necessarily guarantee anything. There's, there's definitely room for interpretation there. So that's kind of my starting point on this as well. Well, it's a man-made construct, effectively. You know, the idea that you must have your feet, hips, shoulders, and knees, and everything like that, all perfectly parallel to the target. There's no law in nature, necessarily, that says that's the case. It's just we, as humans, we like to see symmetry. And, you know, that's a way of doing it. And so, you know, even looking at the top pros, I know lots of people, their argument would be, oh, well, all the pros line up pretty well. And you can find outliers like Bubba Watson who don't. Those are usually the ones who, you know, are less into formal instruction. 
But the other thing as well is we have to understand that correlation is not causation. You know, these pros may have played equally as well, if not better in some cases, if they weren't lined up correctly or textbook. You know, why do pros all line up in a textbook way? Because they've been taught that for the last 130 years or however long golf instruction has been around. You know, someone came up with that idea and it just progresses. It makes logical sense. It fits in with our narrative about symmetry. And so, you know, it's one of those cases, if if one person does it, then all of them do it. And then as it gets progressed down the line of what's that fable about the monkeys on the ladder? Have you ever seen that where a monkey tries to climb the ladder and gets sprayed, all of them get sprayed with water. And then after a few generations, none of the monkeys want to climb the ladder and they don't even know why. I think that's the same situation with alignment in, in a way. Now, there is a call, I think. I'm not throwing out the baby with the bathwater here. There is a call to say that not being too far out of, out of whack with your alignment is probably a good idea. But being aiming a little bit off here and there, aiming at the right rough, the left rough, the right side of the green, left side of the green with your body is is not the end of the world at all. I think a, a similar theme emerges amongst, you know, game improvement advice that we give is that I, I think avoiding extremes is probably a good idea for most players. I'm thinking back to, I had a bizarre, I guess, timeline with golf in my family where usually it's the father teaching the son I took up golf on my own as a child. I just kind of stumbled into it. And my dad was never a golfer. But when he turned 50, he's like, I'm going to take up golf. So I, you know, we got him some lessons and I gave him some on-course help at that point. And I remember so many rounds where he'd be on the tee box as he was learning the game. And I, before he hit it, I'd say, stop. And he's like, why? I'm like, I'd lay the club down along his feet line. And I'm like, look where you are pointing. And it was like 50 degrees to the right. And he's like, really? I had no idea. And there are a lot of golfers who do this. I'm thinking to another round I had recently with a golfer who's actually, you know, he's a one or two handicap. And we were playing. It was me, him, and and a guy who's actually a swing instructor at my course a few, probably last month. And we just had to stop him because he was so closed. He was trying to hit a draw with his driver and he was just so close and his feet were way out of whack. And he was like almost fighting against it in the opposite direction. And we're like, look where you're pointing. And he's like, wow, I had no idea. And it was actually a stupid decision by me because then he started hitting his driver perfectly and beat us in the match. <laughs> but my point is, is that this happens and based on the tweets we got, this happens to everyone where you can get out of whack and you can get extreme without knowing it. Now, sometimes that extreme can be functional for certain players. But there's a lot of players where, you know, I think if you get, you know, way too open or way too close, it's going to force your body to make some adjustments with your swing that are not going to be good. So there's definitely two directions you can go in this. Yeah. I've actually on the other end of the spectrum, I've played with someone recently who he is very naturally talented at lots of sports and he's he doesn't play a lot of golf, but he plays close to scratch whenever he goes out and plays. And he aims probably about 40 degrees to the right every time and hits just this big pull draw onto the target. And it is just so consistent. And so, yeah, you can see the other end of the spectrum there. And, you know, he's flexible enough to kind of get away with that. You know, one of the calls or the arguments against lining up or aiming your body offline 
is that you can run out of range of motion in certain diff different areas. You know, if you're lined up too far to the left, then your backswing turn is going to be inhibited. If you line up too far right, then your body's going to kind of stall out and your rotation on the through swing is going to be inhibited. So there is a, a call for lack of extremes there, but he seems flexible enough to, to get away with it. And some people's bodies just synchronize and sequence itself in a way that perfect alignment probably wouldn't be optimal for them. Or that if they line up perfectly, they're going to have to completely relearn how to sequence their body. And when you have a player who's done it a certain way all their lives that relearning process, you have to weigh it up, right? It's like, well, they got down to scratch doing it this way. Is relearning a different set of matchups going to help them? And in some cases, the answer is no. Yeah, that's why we always talk about feedback. If you are you know, paying attention to these things and your shots are reasonable patterns around your target and, and your alignment's a certain way, great, stick with it. Like things can evolve over time, but it, it, you know you have to pay attention to it. But certainly I don't want to bash this company, so I'm not going to say them by name, but people will probably know what I'm talking about. I got sent a pair of shoes about a year ago <laughs> that have straight lines on the toes. And those were meant to align people perfectly. All right, yeah. And <laughs> I think a lot of people will know what I'm talking about. And my feedback to the inventor was, well, I wore them, but I flare my feet out in both directions. <laughs> you know, my right foot and my left foot are, I don't know how many degrees pointing in the opposite direction, but if I actually tried to get both of my feet in a straight, perfect line in terms of my alignment, it actually would hurt my hips because I tried it. And, and that's one of the reasons I don't use alignment rods almost ever, I feel it gets me in that position where I'm like turning my feet in and I've just found that flaring them out in opposite directions is helpful for me. That doesn't mean I won't use a golf club or an alignment rod from time to time just to double check things, but I'm just not a big believer in the straight line thing because that's just not the way I see it. If anything, you're going to kind of line up your heels, the back of your feet, because of people will flare their feet out differently. You know, some people have a square left foot and then they'll flare sure. their right foot out. Some people like me, I like to flare both feet out a little bit. And different foot flares can help change different patterns in people. You know, if I need to change someone's path, I sometimes will change their foot flare because it's it's a non-invasive method. You know, it's quite easy, quite simple, and it can change a lot in how a player sequences and what you can achieve at impact. But I suppose before we go too deep in this conversation, I'd like to kind of define certain things so people understand what we're talking about here because alignment can mean different things to different people. So we have the flag. Well, that's an obvious one, right? The flag is the flag. Then we should also have targets. Now, as we've discussed on our podcast several times, the target is not always the flag. In many cases, it shouldn't be the flag. So, for example, if that flag is tucked on the left side and there is water left and it's relatively safe on the right side of the green, you should probably be going towards the middle or even right side of the green as a target. So your target is not always and in most cases shouldn't be the flag. You basically want to pick an area or pick a, a landing spot that has a buffer either side of it that's not going to be in danger. And for most people, picking the middle of the green as their target is going to be a good approximation. Then we have our alignment. So that's what we're going to dedicate this to mostly. So alignment for me at least is the physical body and club lines. 
So where your feet are lining up or your ankles, where your knees, your hips, your shoulder line, even your eye line, where the club face or the leading edge is lined up to as well. So the physical aspect of alignment is what I define as alignment. The mental aspect of alignment is what I determine as aim or how I define aim. So I will often be trying to get the ball onto the middle of the green, right? That's my target. But I'll often be aiming or mentally aligning to the right side of the green. Because I know that my shot pattern generally misses a little bit more left. If I have a miss, it's going to be more to the left. So I mentally aim a little bit more to the right. Does that make sense to you, John? It does. I'm probably with you up until that point. Yeah. I don't have that aspect of it. This can get a little tricky for some people because sometimes alignment and target for certain players are the same exact thing and for others, they're not. But yeah, I think that that makes sense. That's just not the way I play it. I'll, I guess I'll, I'll explain my version of it. But yeah, you have your tendencies that you're accounting for. But when you stand over a shot, John, what are you visualizing? Where are you visualizing the ball going just towards the middle of the green? So my, you know, I'm trying to deconstruct what I do on the yeah, course. Yeah, sometimes these things can be automatic. Yeah, sometimes they're just automatic. I'll do my best to deconstruct it. So let's say in that instance where, you know, I have my, this could be for a tee shot as well, but we'll we'll use an approach shot because there's a flag. So let's say that the flag was tucked on the left and I'm going to aim to the middle of the green or right, whatever. That's my target. So I am saying I'm trying to allow my ball to land somewhere in the middle of that green with the knowledge that some will go left of that and some will go right of that. That's just my shot dispersion. And I've decided because of that, I need to move that away from the trouble to make sure that less shots end up in the trouble because I'll probably double cross a few. So I pick my target, I focus on that, and then I align myself. Now my alignment is probably my feet because I'm a slight drawer of the golf ball. Mm -hmm. I'm probably going to be a little closed in terms of my feet and shoulders, I'll be pointing a little bit right of that target. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much where I leave it at. And I know that I want the ball to start right of the target and then hopefully curve back with the draw. That's as far as I go. So in your case, you have your mental target. You have your target, yep. but your mental Correct. target or your aim is the same. So you're visualizing yeah. it landing on, on the green. Now your alignment might be different to that. So your alignment might be closed, but your mental and physical target are the same, which is absolutely fine. But there are some cases where if you, if you have, say, a slicer and they, they miss everything to the right. So they hit a hundred balls on a track man or a GC quad and all their shots are either straight or to the right. So their average is maybe 15 yards right. Well, yes, you could fix that swing. Certainly. Or you could also, as a short-term solution, oh, I mean, for Bubba Watson, he made a multi-million dollar career out of this. You could, (laughs) yeah, I have to say that. You could take that slice shot and you could get that player, if they're right-handed, to aim more down the left side, to line up their body and aim down the left side. Now, they may still have the target of, I want this ball to finish in the middle of the fairway. That may still be the target. The target's probably going to be the same across the board for players, whether I'm playing or whether that slicer is playing or whether you're playing with the draw. The target, all our targets might be the same. But that slicer might be mentally trying to get it down the left side of the fairway on average. 
And so sometimes they hit it straight and it's down the left side of the fairway. Sometimes their mistake or their natural pattern comes in and it fades off that line into the middle of the fairway. So that's why I kind of separate these, these things. And the reason why I've added that extra definition of aim being our mental target is because lots of people say, oh, well, I'm a slicer. And when I aim down the left side, I slice it even more. Well, that's because they've aligned their body down the left side but they're still mentally trying to target the center of the green or the center of the fairway. So they didn't change their mental aim as well. And I found that when you change alignment and the mental aim, then the shot pattern overall shifts in the right direction. And that's why this is a personal discussion because everyone has to, you know, we always talk about pay attention to your feedback when you're practicing and on the course. These are things you have to pay attention to especially when you're practicing, because you want to take note of these things and say, okay, if I want, you know, if I'm hitting at this target and I don't want all the balls to land 30 yards to the right of it, I've got to make some adjustments here. Mm -hmm. But I think it is important to note that alignment and target are often not the same exact thing. And they probably shouldn't be for most players that doesn't mean it can't it can't be for some players because some people just see straight lines and they look at it and they go very personal but yeah that's you know when i practice and i'm paying attention to stuff in practice or on the course i am trying to adjust these things because yeah it it, it can you know the golf swing does change on you there's been times with my driver where I've almost been open with my alignment, but I'm trying to hit a draw. There's other times where maybe my face pattern is getting too open, and that's probably lately, where then I'll take that trail foot and put it behind me so my stance is more closed. And I think that helps get the path more into out. I think, you know, what your how your feet are aligned can absolutely influence the path of the club. So it's just it's this constant calibration process, and that's why you know, you have to pay attention to it. And I just see so many golfers, like those those two examples I gave before, where they have no idea where their body's aligned relative to their target. And it's just kind of getting out of sync over time. And if you don't pay attention to it, then you, you kind of end up in this place where you're like, well, now what? And this is why, you know, there's stories of Jack Nicholas back when pro golfers used to have an off season where what was his instructor's name was it jack grout yeah, am i yeah, saying that okay there was always a story of when he would come back they would just work on on basics like alignment for for weeks just to get him back in sync like this is something that's important for you know the top players in the world down to the weekend warrior like even on putting like jordan spieth has had a lot of issues with short putts and uh, he said for months he's like i just can't get my alignment right i, I just don't know my lines right now so it's not something you can gloss over. You got to pay attention to it. And then on the flip side of that, <laughs> you have, you know, certain players like when Tiger was measured, even with putting, he wasn't lined up towards a target. He was three yeah, he was degrees open <laughs> with the club face. Yeah. And this is in a scenario where everything's static. This is in a scenario, not even on the golf course. This is in like a lab setting where everything's stable. And he was three degrees open with the face. And yes, just to explain that to people, that is enough to miss, definitely enough to miss a 10-footer. I think you have to be one degree offline to miss a 10-footer. So 
my trigonometry is not great. So I, I would say it's enough to miss a three-footer, but I'm sure that's not correct. <laughs> so all the math geeks out there can correct me on that. But yeah, it's enough to miss, significantly miss putts. And yet he managed to square the face up throughout the swing each time. And so I'm always wary when players, even when tour players say, I'm playing bad because of this or, or that. Sometimes it's not the reason. Sometimes they think it's the reason. And sometimes it's not. Sometimes it could be, but sometimes blind squirrels find nuts. <laughs> it's amazing when you listen to stories about tour players, uh, the ones especially on the search for swing techniques. Like, they, honestly, they get just as confused as everyone else. Obviously, their skill level is way higher, so they can continue to play well. Perfect example right now, Colin Morikawa. We're recording this right before the U.S. Open. He was quoted this week. You know, he hits a baby cut. That's his go-to shot. That's why he's one of the best iron players in the world. He was quoted as saying the last few months, him and his instructor cannot figure out why he is hitting a high draw. It's obviously a face control issue and they just cannot figure it out. And he's just going with it for now. Yeah. And I think he said, he's like, if I have to go with the high draw for the rest of my career, so be it. But, you know, he's worked with his instructor. I think we butchered his name on a prior podcast rick sessinghouse yeah hopefully yeah. i got that right they've been working together for 15 plus years they can't figure it out right now but he's you know he's going with it <laughs> you just don't know sometimes it's hard to draw back your i guess to establish the crumb trail of what the issue is on the course back to the source of it yeah but sometimes even if you do figure out well why has something changed you would think that, oh, we'll just go back to the old way. But now you're going back to the old way, but thinking about it. So, okay, yeah. say they figured <laughs> out, say they had his data before, Colin Moncower's 3D data or whatever, and they had it before, and now they have it after, and they find out, oh, you're hitting the draw because you're doing this. Well, now trying to go back to the old way, you're doing it, but you're doing it with a conscious intent. And that might change the whole thing. So, you know, before he was doing it naturally, he wasn't thinking about how he's doing it. I know he's quite, I've seen little interviews with him. And he's very instinctive. He doesn't think about what he does much, which is a lesson for most people, for a lot of people. But yeah, sometimes going back to those old things, you might be able to get the numbers, but the act of thinking about it changes the reason why it worked in the first place. You know, if Morikawa could get back to his old swing, but now he's thinking about it, well, he's doing it differently. That might affect the consistency of it, because if you're thinking about mechanical movements or body pieces, you generally affect the consistency of, of those movements. So yeah, sometimes there's that breadcrumb thing. It's a nice philosophy, but sometimes it doesn't work as you would imagine it to. I mean, they're under much more pressure to quote unquote, figure it out than the rest of us. Yeah. Like I told you before we started recording that I'm everyone who listens to this podcast knows they, they, they hear about my swing path. But these days, I think I've neutralized it so much. I'm starting to hit a lot of like fades out there. Yeah. So these things will change over time. Yeah. And I'm just going with it. I'm okay with that. You know, I'm seeing this, you know, on certain, I think on certain shots when the golf course forces me to point my body in a certain direction probably shifts my path and my face a little bit. But you know what? I don't care as long as my ball is landing within a reasonable distance of, of where, you know, my target is. And I think shifting your body lines around sometimes can do that. Like, for example, if I know there's trouble on one side of the hole off the tee, let's say it's on the right side, and I know that the optimal strategy, thanks to Mark Brody and, and, and Scott Fawcett, is to aim away from that trouble – Sometimes that causes me to hit a fade and I, I just 
you know, I don't freak out about it and be like, well, that's not my shot pattern. I just kind of live with it. Now, if I hit a double cross on the other side of the, of the hole, then I, then I'd be a little bit more worried about it. But yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a strange game, right? Well, yeah, you have to take into account the perceptual parts of it. Like you said, sometimes aiming away from it can cause people to do different things. Like if you take that slicer, if they were a robot and you just aligned that person to the left, they would hit more of their targets, that slicer. But obviously, when you take a human being and you line them up to the left, they may be thinking, oh, my God, I feel so, like I'm aimed so far left here. And they may slice it worse because th- there's that perceptual part. So, But there are training exercises you can do on the range that recreate these scenarios so you get comfortable with lining up in different ways. And I, I suggest, you know, trying to recreate certain scenarios on the range so you get comfortable with all different scenarios. So try and simulate water on the left. So here's a quick game that people can do with that. You can pick two targets that represent your green or your fairway and play a game where you, it's great if you play this against someone as well, play a game where you get a point each time you hit your target. Nothing if you miss it to the right, so there's no danger there, but you lose three points three points if you miss it to the left. So that really induces the fear of missing to the left. And if you play for like $5 per point with a a person, then that really will simulate the the game for you. One thing that I do, I guess it falls under my fight fire with fire philosophy and what we always talk about with doing the opposite. So someone who's comfortable, I'm more comfortable, like let's say I'm on a golf hole and it's a dog leg left, or, you know, I could be on the left side of the target, then I feel comfortable because I can draw it back. I'm, I'm very comfortable with that feeling. But however, over the years, if I'm to the right of it, that will make me uncomfortable. And that's something I've had to work on. So consciously, sometimes when I go to the range, instead of going on the left side of the range where I can hit my draw, I'll go on the right side of the range because that alignment and target made me very uncomfortable where if the green was to the left of me or the target off the tee shot was to the left of me, that would give me fits in terms of my alignment because it's like, oh, I'm setting up for a fade here, but I don't want to hit a fade. That's just something that's personal, but you know, I had to counteract that with often I just go to the right side of the range and, and try and consciously pick targets that are to the left of me. As weird as that sounds, it's helped me a lot. Well, that's it. I mean, sometimes you can make someone who is aligning incorrectly by the way when i say this guys incorrectly i'm doing air quotes each time you know non-textbook but they're playing well you know they're playing probably some of their best golf but they're not lining up in a textbook way if you make them line up textbook it can make them feel so uncomfortable that they can start playing really horrible golf because it's completely changing their perception so these things Changing your alignment before a round of golf can be quite a tough thing to do. And I wouldn't even recommend if you're playing a big tournament. Uh, You know, these are things that you should be monitoring more throughout the season to make sure it doesn't get out of alignment, pardon the pun. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, on your topic as well, another big one that I see that causes inconsistent alignment on the course is, you know, when you get on courses and sometimes the grass is mowed in a different direction to where the the fairway is or the tee box maybe is aiming a certain way it's it's entirely built towards the left side and i see so many amateurs so this is a big one where so many amateurs just get up they go in on pure instinct and they just line up with what feels correct but because all of the ground 
information, the lines of the mower, the, the lines of the tee box, the way the tee box is built might be lining you up in different places and it can really screw your perception up and they can end up just hitting an offline shot, not because they've hit a bad shot necessarily or made a bad swing, but because they've lined up incorrectly. And this is why I use an intermediate target. So this is a big point here. When you use an intermediate target, that's something in front of your ball, usually about one to three feet in front of the ball. That helps eliminate some of those perceptual issues of, you know, the mowing lines and things like that. And I, I'm a big advocate of that. Even if people don't use that, I like to train people to use it. Jack Nicholas used it. He said that's all he used to focus on, I think, sometimes, is, is just looking at that intermediate target in front. Do you use an intermediate target, John? I don't. So I have, I'm glad you brought this up because this was a question we received on Twitter. People were asking like, well, do you pick a target out in the distance or right in front of you? I choose to pick the target in the distance. And I think I've mentioned this on other episodes. I have this very unique way to align myself where I point my club at the target and leave it there as I step (laughs) into the shot. And that helps me, you know, you talk about consistency and and having these things in your head when, you know, let's say the tee box is pointing in a different direction and stuff. That's just the way I do it. I would never recommend someone else do it. I have no idea why I do it, but it works for me. But yeah, you have to have, and this is something to work on in practice for sure. And when we always talk about what is good practice, intent on terms of your target is kind of like the foundation of good practice is that you can't figure out these things unless, or I believe this, unless you're at the range with the target each time. And let's say you use the method like the intermediate thing. You have you know a, a blade of grass three feet in front of you. I think that's a great method. But you're doing that on every shot you're hitting yes. at the range and you're paying attention. That is how you develop the consistency of alignment. So I think there's two different things at play here. And maybe you'll agree with this or not. I think we're both saying that there's no such thing as textbook alignment. There is a right answer based on your tendencies in your game. I want people to find that tendency and then be consistent with it because you don't want to be the golfer that shows up to the course. And then on some holes, you know, they're 10 degrees to the right. And then on other holes, they're 15 degrees to the left and they're kind of all over the place with their alignment. That is where I believe you get into problems and how you can kind of tie in the practice element to making sure you're doing the same thing on the course because the golf course plays horrible tricks on you for sure yeah i completely agree i think if there's something we both agree on here it's that the consistency of alignment is more important than whether it's textbook or not within reason i mean if you're consistently 90 degrees to the right then (laughs) we're entering the part of the bell curve where that argument flips but I like the intermediate target because it allows for more flair or individualism. You know, if you've got an intermediate target, it allows you to be consistently lining up to a target without, when you put the clubs on the ground, there's certainly a call that that's a good drill for, for some people, but some people can get too wrapped up in being textbook. And like I said, textbook is not perfect for everybody. It's not optimal for everybody. Some people's bodies are not going to sequence that way. If you have textbook alignment, the rest of your swing is going to have to be much more textbook. And uh, this is getting into the argument where people 
don't really understand it. People people will argue, oh well, yeah, surely that's better to have better, you know, textbook alignment and a textbook swing. It's like, no, not necessarily. You could have, you could be aiming five, six, seven degrees off to the right and be hitting a little pull draw onto the target and play great golf, and that could be more optimal for you than textbook swing and textbook alignment. People are so obsessed with tech. I call it textbook orexia, where people are so obsessed with it, with being textbook. And I know I've been there, right? I was that person who was there. I haven't always been this crazy and much of an outlier and rebel. But, you know, the more I learn about things and how people's bodies move, and I've become less obsessed with textbook in that way. But yeah, so we're, we're both on the intermediate target or at least on the consistency of alignment. And even within that, John, I would say consistency of alignment is important for each kind of club class. So you may find that you're consistently off to the right with your driver and maybe consistently open with your wedges like Hogan was. Hogan used that method. We are going to take a quick break there and we will be right back. What's up, Sweet Spot listeners? I am super excited to introduce a new brand we're working with, Gooder Sunglasses. I pretty much do not go outside without sunglasses on, and I definitely wear them all the time on the golf course, so it's a really important product for me. Gooder makes $25 active sunglasses that are lightweight, comfortable, and do not move while you swing. When I first got them, I was shocked at the quality. There's no way you would know they were $25 if someone just put them in your hands. Their golf sunglasses have HD contrast, so you'll see clearly when you're on the golf course, and you don't have to worry about losing them because they don't have a hefty price tag. They have a wide variety of designs and colors that should suit just about any style you're looking for, whether it's for golf or elsewhere in your life. All Gooder sunglasses are 100% UV protective and have polarized lenses. You'll also get a one-year warranty and a 30-day window to return them for free if you don't like them. If you want to try out a pair or two, we've arranged an exclusive discount for Sweet Spot listeners. Go to Gooder, G-O-O-D-R dot com forward slash Sweet Spot and use promo code Sweet Spot at checkout and you'll receive 15% off your entire order. That's www.g-o-o-d-r dot com forward slash Sweet Spot and make sure to use promo code Sweet Spot at checkout for your 15% discount. I definitely know that I am probably, you know, from going through my bag, I'm probably more closed as loft increases as the club gets shorter and I get more open as I get closer to my driver. That just, I'm paying attention. I'm looking at feedback. I'm experimenting and practice and on the course, that's what I've settled on for me. Not to say I won't make adjustments where necessary, but yeah, I've probably got more neutral over the years because I I just realized that the extremes in my golf swing and, and other things were kind of preventing me from getting to another level. So I've probably gone away from that over the years where my body lines aren't that far off from my target anymore. What made you think that, I'm not saying this isn't untrue, but what made you think that is stopping you reach another level? The more I played, at least for the level I wanted to get to in tournaments, the more I played with the extreme swing path and everything and, and the more excessive the hook was and the lower the spin and the stopping power on the greens, I just realized that it was told to me by a few people who I respected. They said, if you want to get to another level, 
you're going to have to figure out a way to neutralize that with my driver, with my irons. And it, for me, yeah, that was the answer. Just because I, I think, you know, that, and again, I didn't do anything crazy. It was kind of like a slow process over the years. Whereas now, if you watched me play golf on the course, I'm hitting a lot of straightish shots. Some draw a little bit, some will fade a little bit. I'm playing better with that pattern than I was with that huge hook. That was something that had to happen for me. Now you look at someone like Bubba <laughs> and he's bending the ball like crazy. And I, see, I I know plenty of scratch golfers or low handicap players who have more extremes. So again, there's no right answer. I just think that, you know, in golf in general, you look towards like what's potentially holding you back. What are your big faults? What are the, maybe they're extreme and you try and neutralize them and, and, and pay attention along the way if it's giving you better results. If it's not, then you're not headed in the right direction. You know, there's no guarantees. Exactly. So yeah, I mean, it's an important to balance the argument because I never want people to go away from this conversation saying, oh, Adam and John said alignment don't matter. No, there's two sides of the argument here. We're going to explore both sides and find that sweet spot. And so to the argument, someone asked the question, well, when is too much? You know, when is, when is someone too offline with their body? Uh, my answer to that will be if it's negatively affecting another impact parameter. So for some people, for example, if they aim their body too contorted, it may affect speed in a way. So like I said earlier, if someone's aimed too far to the left, that's probably going to negatively affect their backswing turn and so they may not be able to create as big a backswing turn they may not be able to create as much speed if someone's too aimed too far to the right or too closed that can affect the follow-through and so the pivot can stall the hands can flip over and that can negatively affect ground contact so there are certainly points where you can be too extreme with your alignment that it starts to affect that or in your case you are aiming offline to maybe compensate for a closed face so you were hitting a big draw, big right to left shot, and you found that, oh, if I align my body to the right, I can get away with that. But the problem with that is it was producing too low a spin rate with the ball. So for you to neutralize those things, it helped neutralize your path, which allowed you to use a more neutral face, which allows you to probably produce a higher shot with more spin, perhaps. Again, every golfer has different goals. You know, I've seen some golfers who are like an eight, 10 handicap type level player, and they just have crazy lines in terms of their alignment and it works for them and it's fine. It's not, they're not going to change it. They don't want to go through a major swing overhaul. Maybe they're happy with that level of play. That's totally fine. Like I'm not, I'm not against that whatsoever, but if it gets to a point where it's like, quite obvious that it is holding you back and you do want to get better then like yeah i mean there's obviously other things that you have to work into the swing to reduce that extremity but alignment can be a piece of that so like you talked about me like i just felt like i had to aim so far right to make this work and then over time i'm like okay what can i do to not feel like i'm painted into that corner so much anymore and that was just the path i went down yeah, and someone aiming to the right like you, what they're either going to do is they're going to come over the top and hit a pull onto the target, which is fine. That can work, but it tends to produce a very steep angle of attack. It can produce lower ball flights as well for lots of people. So if they use the matchups of aiming right and swing over the top, 
yeah, the, the ball flight tends to be lower. So if that's a problem for the player, if they, if they come and they say, well, I'm, I hit it online, everything's pretty straight, but I just can't hold any greens, then we might say, okay, well, let's neutralize the alignment a little bit, come less over the top, and that's going to allow you to hit these higher ball flights. Or they're going to do, the players who aim to the right are going to do what you did, which is their path is going to be incredibly in to out and they're just going to have to hook it onto the target again not necessarily a bad problem but they may have inconsistencies throughout the bag they may hit more pushes with the wedges and hooks with the driver because that's if you produce the same impact dynamics path right face closed it'll produce different outcomes with different clubs i mean here's a question for you just as your perspective as an instructor so you have that classic slicer who comes in and, you know, they're doing the opposite of what I did. They're just getting more open, open, open yeah. <laughs> to to compensate for this slice. You know, what do you think of in terms of alignment? And I think feet are important for, you know, they certainly have an influence on club path and, and face yeah. presentation. Mm-hmm. What do you think about saying like, hey, let's try a maybe neutral to slightly closed stance and see what happens here. And hopefully that shifts the path over a bit and it's not as extreme. Like, do you like doing stuff like that with students? Yeah. If I think that is going to improve other parameters or or the performance sure. of the player, certainly. Now, if Bubba Watson came in, say Bubba Watson was a right-handed <laughs> yeah. golfer and he's slicing it like that, Bubba can get away with that big cut across because he's got so much speed. Okay, so most amateurs, they don't have a lot of distance. And when you're cutting across it, especially with a slicing action, it increases spin rate. It usually reduces distance. And so when an amateur is coming in with that, I might suggest maybe neutralizing, maybe not going to a full-on draw and completely changing their shape, but neutralizing the amount of cut across that they have. So they're increasing their smash factor and reducing their spin then. So the alignment then would be part of that, would be real low-hanging fruit for me. So yes, I would change alignment in that regard. But I'd also make sure that I'm changing the shot shape first with that player. So if you took that slicer and you may make them aim straight they are going to feel absolutely horrible. What you have to do first, before you change that player's alignment, is you have to get them hitting it left. Okay, so I would take that slicer and I I would actually do the things they need to do to help close the face. So now it turns into a big pull. Now, once they see that ball going left, they are much more open perceptually to, to changing their alignment. In fact, in many cases, I don't even need to suggest an alignment change. When they start to see that ball going left, their body lines start to self-organize into better positions. They start to line themselves up better. Because if you look at why most people line up incorrectly, usually it's they're trying to correct poor outcome. You know, they hit everything to the right, so they end up, their brain tells them, well, if I aim left, <laughs> if I line my body up left, I can at least achieve an outcome that's on the target. So for most people... It's that way. I'd say 80% of players fall into that category. Now, the other 20% of players, it's kind of weird in that, you know, they may suffer with blocking everything out to the right and they're aiming out to the right. And you think, huh, that's strange that they haven't just self-organized their alignment better. That's a case where you may say with a player, okay, it's good for you to stick alignment sticks on the ground. That is actually going to help you because, you know, you're hitting it where you aim it. So you might as well aim it on the, on the target. That's an example of, like I said, I don't use alignment rods a lot, but I think 
for a lot of people, they can be very helpful as a cold productively. Forward, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of was that situation I was describing on the course where I lost myself some money by, <laughs> by interjecting in that guy's uh, driver alignment because he was doing exactly what you suggested. His body was aligned to the right and the ball was just going away right. And I'm like, look at where you're look at where you're pointing. And he's like, oh, no idea. And then he, he fixed it. And then all of a sudden hitting lasers straight. So sometimes it's not that simple. But, you know, in terms of, I think, a persistent question we've gotten is about what can you do in practice is that I think a simple formula is no have a target, first of all, that should be obvious, but it's not for a lot of people. You could use that intermediate target. Do you like, I mean, some people... I know they shove the alignment rod in the ground in front of them. I don't do that. Or you maybe you can place a T in front of you for an intermediate target. I like to do things that you, you're you going to have on the course. So yeah. if having an alignment stick in front of you, okay, it's a good training aid to do, try and hit that alignment stick. But you don't have that on the course. So you know I just like to stick things on the ground, like maybe a T in front of the ball. Or just go through your full routine. Stand back. Yep. Pick a blade of grass in front like I do for everything. You know, I've played golf, what, 30 years now or so, and I've never not found an intermediate target that I can use. So there's always something in front of your ball that you can use to line up to. Yep. Is there any other, I mean, you've been on the, the practice tee for so long in terms of alignment help and practice. Is there anything else that you will get your students doing that people can do while they're practicing? It depends on how we're working on alignment. My preferred method for most people is the intermediate target because, like I said, it allows for a little bit of interpretation. It stops people obsessing over whether they're textbook aligned, you know, perfect parallel with their feet and so, so forth, and gets them more into, am I just aligned consistently? You know, I found that when people have an intermediate target, they line consistently. Amateurs, pros, line consistently. They may not line textbook, but they line consistently, which is important. But in some cases, like for example, the case of your player where he's aiming to the right on the course and he's missing to the right, that is one of the few situations where I would say, right, putting alignment sticks on the ground is very good for you. This is going to help you because you hit it where you aim it. So let's work on aiming more textbook because it's good for you. But in my situation, you know, where I'm aiming left, but hitting everything on target, Putting alignment sticks on the ground is going to make me worse, and at least in that short-term experience there. And even for the slicer who aims left and they slice onto their target, lining up for them better is probably not the first route that I would go. As I said, I'd first get let's get that shot shape less slicey, and from there we can deal with the alignment after that. Yeah, I'm kind of with you again. Not someone who puts alignment rods down, but I'm more just so focused on the target and then letting my body do what it's doing. That being said, sometimes if I feel like things are getting out of whack and that's probably with too closed of a stance, I won't start with the alignment rod down there. I will test myself. So I'll pick my target, address the ball and then lay the club down, you know, in relative to where my feet are kind of pointing and my body lines then I'll take a step back and be like, okay, this is what felt normal to you right now. And this is where it was pointing exactly. because sometimes those two things can get way out of whack. And then I'm like, okay, I'm just way too closed here. I got to, you know, make sure that right foot 
isn't so far behind my lead foot. That's how I prefer to do it because I think that transfers more effectively over to the golf course because based on all the questions we've gotten on Twitter, most of them had a common theme is like, well, how do I fix this during a round? Because you don't have the alignment rods out there and you certainly can't lay the club down. And that's how I've tried to solve that problem with practice is that I'll pick the target, set up, and then actually verify where things were pointing versus having the alignment rod there already as like kind of an aid. Again, like you said, that could work for some players who really need the visual help. But I think for other players, like I'd rather you to kind of naturally figure this out, test yourself, verify, look at where the ball's going relative to the target and then see, okay, this seemed like it was a bit extreme. Let's move things around here. And I think that will allow you to be able to self-correct more on the golf course. But I do want to throw a caveat in there because we did get this question. How do I fix it on the course? Sometimes you can't. Like, I'll be perfectly honest with people. There are days where I go out there and things feel off in terms of alignment and target. And I'll do my best to adjust based on what's going on that day. Cause sometimes it's like, you know, maybe my path is a little different. How I'm presenting the club is different. So it's like, there's a lot of variables going on here. I do my best to stay consistent with the alignment stuff, but yeah, on certain days, like if nothing's working with like the club face presentation slash swing path adjustments, I might just have to point my body a little bit further in one direction and go with it. Yeah. Oh my God. There's so much to unpack here. My brain's going crazy. <laughs> It's one of those things where if you stop and think about it, like I want this to be instinctive, like many other things in golf, especially when you're on the course. Like I just want people to, you know, step up to their ball, pick target, pre-shot routine, align, hit. But then if you stop and deconstruct all these things, you're like, well, is alignment the same as target? No, it actually isn't. Like I don't, you know, you can't open a can of worms here, but I guess what we're always trying to do is help people who are struggling self-diagnose and coach themselves. So hopefully this we're not confusing people too much here. Well, yeah, I, I love your drill. I use that a lot. That's my favorite one. In fact, you can do an entire hour or more without even hitting a ball doing the drill. So you, yeah, just keep you pick your target, yourself. you walk yeah. in, you line up. Importantly, you look at the target to get a feel for it and try to sense, do I feel lined up here? Then you put the club on the ground, walk back and check it. And you may find that your feel and real are not together. Now, that's not always caused a panic, as we talked about. If you've been hitting shots on the target, that, then that's, that's fine. But if you find that you've been missing right and you find that you're lining up to the right, then we see, ah, okay, this is the issue. My perception of where the target doesn't match reality. So in that case, you can then go through that entire process again. But this time when you step in and you look at the target, try to feel as if you're aimed more to the left, then put the club down, stand back, check it. And you might go, oh, that felt like I was lined up to the left, but the stick is telling me I was actually on the target. And so that's a great process to go through. Yeah. Just to be clear, I don't do that often. I only do it when I feel like something is wrong in terms of where my ball is yeah. finishing to my target. So again, that could differ based on the skill level and experience of the player for a beginner to intermediate player. Like you might need to be doing that every range session, whereas the more advanced player, I think they've got that covered more and it's just more of a maintenance slash checking in from time to time, or if they're seeing an issue in their ball flight, 
relative to their target. Do we want to like confuse the hell out of people and talk about ball position or should that be a separate we, yeah, episode? I, mean, yeah. <laughs> I just want to continue with that. I mean, I actually, that process that you talked about of, I prefer that even for better players. I certainly prefer it over just putting a stick on the ground and beating balls towards a target because that becomes mindless because I've seen it with people and I've experienced myself where I practice with a stick on the ground. You're hitting balls, hitting balls, hitting balls, and then you go out in the course and your alignment doesn't change. So the addition that I would make to your process, John, is actually to line up the different targets on the range. So go oh, to yeah. different sides of the range even. Line up to the left side target. Go through that process until you feel like you've got that down. And then go to the right side of the range and do it to a different target. And then start to mix them up and become more random. I know Scott's going to kill me for this, for adding random Well, Scott practice. tweeted, I remember when I sent out the tweet yesterday asking for questions his response was in capital letters you better be talking about block practice and i'm not against it like especially with driver practice i will be more repetitive i guess but i think what you're describing there and what i talked about earlier in the episode of going to different sides of the range for whatever reason that made me uncomfortable being to the right of the target and having to hit it from the left side i think it became a face presentation issue So I noticed that when I was in positions relative to my target that made me uncomfortable, it would mess with how my face was presented at impact. And training that, getting myself into more of those uncomfortable positions on the range helped improve my face control. Exactly. And this is where my argument again goes against block practice is if you are training for on-course performance – Train like you're on a course. Aim at different targets. Put yourself in those uncomfortable situations where the mowing lines on the ground might be offline to what and, and screwing with your perception. You have to deal with these things on the course, so you've got to practice them on the range. If you're standing there just blocking to the same target over time, after three shots, you're comfortable with that shot. You're comfortable with it. You're locked into it. You've got to change to a different thing. The caveat to that would be a complete beginner who has no concept of alignment at all or is all over the place each time. Then, yeah, in that situation, a little bit of block practice might help them. But I like to get people into randomly picking targets and going through the full routine each time. And I know Scott would certainly agree with that, going through the full routine each time. But, you know, it's if I put a player, a pro or an amateur in a blocked practice alignment session, both of them are going to be very, very consistent with their alignment. However, when you put them in a random practice scenario of alignment, you know, aiming to different targets, now the pro maintains their consistency. They can line up to those targets, but the amateur struggles a little bit. Now, some people would argue, okay, well, that player needs to do block practice. No, they're struggling with that. They need to learn how to deal with that. Like you found, you struggled with club face presentation because of the perceptual issues. You needed to be in that scenario to learn how to deal with it. I'll give an example because one of the questions we got was, what's the best way to calibrate when the tees aren't well aligned, especially on a par three? Intermediate target. Exactly. So there's a perfect example of this on my course, the 13th hole it's a tough par four. There's trouble right. And I know that if I can keep my tee shot left, I can almost hit it to the adjoining fairway and it's just plenty of room over there. But over the years, that made me uncomfortable because I knew the optimal target was not the center of the fairway. I knew it was to the left because if I miss it right, I'm blocked out by trees 
minimum bogey for sure. Very difficult to make par in that situation. But if I can shift my shot pattern, you know, 10, 20, 30 yards to the left, no issues over there, just a fairway. That being said, even though I, when I had to shift my target to the left, it would almost get me hitting this blocky fade where I would leave the club face open. That was something, and I still fight with that. Sometimes I do block it on that hole. Now, the way I get comfortable with that is you almost have to disassociate yourself from where the T is pointing and almost what the hole is doing and just kind of get into this zone where, you know, you could have the intermediate target. For me, I have my weird alignment thing with my club and I'm just so focused on the target and knowing that I'm aligning properly and just having trust in that Mm -hmm. versus being thrown off by and be like, "Uh oh, don't hit it right here. You're lining up to the left. Like it's very difficult to do. And I don't want to give the impression that I get it right every time. But when the lines of the golf course throw you off, you have to have a method, whether that's your pre-shot routine, you know, picking the intermediate target, all of that stuff that you've worked on in your practice sessions so that it's more comfortable and you could hit it to where that target was. And for me on that hole, it's 10, 20 yards to the left of the center of the fairway. Yeah, go off and find those scenarios that make yeah, you uncomfortable. Yeah. Find those scenarios that throw you off and practice them. Yeah, that's why like, I don't want to, I did pick on that shoe company a little bit, but I don't like the idea of straight lines in a lot of things in golf, especially alignment, because there's no straight lines on the golf course. And I've, I've fallen victim to that with what you described. I see a lot of, you know, people doing the perfect alignment rod thing every time. And again, I don't want to say it's not helpful for everyone, but for me, it created this crutch and then it didn't exist on the golf course. And I'm like, well, it's not here anymore. Now what? So I kind of naturally moved away from that. That's just my interpretation. Yours too. People could do with that what they want, but I you, know, you are trying to prepare yourself for what's going to happen on the golf course. And it's just, there's just all these things out there that play tricks with your eyes, your mind, and you got to figure out a way to have some consistency to make sure your the alignment and the target are the same that they would be on the range and you can keep the ball hopefully close to where you were aimed. Exactly, yeah. If that makes sense. I mean, if I have any alignment aids on the range, usually it's in front of the ball, not a, a shaft in the ground sticking up, but on the ground just pointing towards the target. So more like an intermediate target, as I said. For the most part, I'm a big fan of intermediate targets. Next, I'm a big fan of the process you talked about, walking in, checking your alignment, getting back out. And then for some people, yes, placing alignment rods on the ground for their feet can help them. But that's it's such blasphemy in the industry. I know lots of people are like, I hate Adam. He doesn't want to line up perfectly. I'm like, no, I just want you to line up consistently. I mean, even Hogan, right? If people don't want to listen to me, look at what Hogan did. Right, He aimed to the right with his feet. He had a closed stance with his driver, pretty neutral with irons, and an open stance with wedges. So he was consistent within the category of club, but he was inconsistent throughout them, and he certainly wasn't textbook with them all. And then you get lots of tour players like Bubba Watson who, who don't aim online. Even the tour average, I've got the gears system that has all the 3D data of tour players. The tour average is not aimed straight and the different body segments are aimed some, you know, they'll have their shoulders open with irons. They'll have their shoulders more closed with driver. 
So it's just this idea of perfect textbook alignment is just man-made and should be dealt with caution or for what it is. Like I say, I'm not throwing the baby out with the bathwater, but just be careful. Don't don't be too. Yeah, much. I, I was I was hesitant. I'm like, should we throw on the shoulders here too? <laughs> because there are, you know, you could have your feet open and your shoulders closed. Oh, there's yeah, no I mean, rule to say that you know they have to be the same, and there's no rule to say what's best for each player. Yeah, I don't like to see people contorted, but yeah, you can see players who have their feet closed, their hips. And shoulders open, their club face in a different place. Maybe they're lining. I mean, I, like I said, I don't want people all over the place with these things. Yeah, but you can't, yeah, you can't go wild. <laughs> okay, in terms of influence, this is a big point here. In terms of influence, the feet, which people obsess over, the feet line is probably one of the lower influences on things like swing path. The shoulder line has a much bigger influence on swing path. So if I'm looking at someone's alignment, I'll usually deal with their shoulders before I even deal with their feet, if anything. And then you've got the club face alignment as well. The eye line is really influential on path. If someone's got their head tilted to the left or to the right, it's going to be a real big dictator of where they're going to swing the club. So yeah, all those things are far more important than the feet. I don't like to see the feet 45 degrees offline, but you know, 5, 10 degrees offline, especially if their swing path is pretty neutral. If your swing path is neutral, if that GC quad says your path is close to neutral and your feet are aiming 10 degrees right to achieve that, I'm okay with that. You know, I'll monitor it, make sure it doesn't get to 20, 30 degrees offline, but I'm okay with you aiming a little bit more closed with your feet. Hogan did, like I said, I do with my driver. I'm a little bit more closed. Yeah, and of course, I'll throw in the word of caution that you have to be so careful not to also think about all these things like what you just said, eye line, feet line, shoulder. Like it's well, People obsess over it. And yeah, I'm trying to get people not to. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I could tell one story with, I probably mentioned it before with my putting where I had an instructor I was doing an article with four or five years ago. I was doing some stuff on gears and other things. And we were doing some putting work and I was struggling with pulling the ball. He's like, your shoulders, look at where they're pointed. And I was like, wow, I had no idea. And that was one of the things that got me on the path to being a pretty good putter. It was just my shoulder alignment was way off. And it was really influencing a lot of things in my putting stroke that was causing me to pull the ball, especially under pressure. Yeah, I mean, if it's matching your pattern, I suppose that's when, you know, it goes back to that question. So when should you make the alignment more textbook? Well, if you're missing everything to the left and your shoulders are going exactly. left, then that's kind yeah. of low-hanging fruit, right? But if you're if yep. you're like Tiger and you have the face three degrees open and you're canning every putt, then that's a call where it's like, well, alignment's not important in this case, or you're not going to make him better by lining him up better in most cases. It's always the question we get back to. I think we... This was a big part of our swing lesson slash swing change thing. We had an episode with Shaheen Nakjavani. And we were saying, what do you stand to gain and what do you stand to lose? Exactly. In that instance, I was a horrible putter. I was missing a lot of putts to the left of the hole. There was a clear pattern there. Yeah. So I had nowhere to go but up. So if I had an instructor that I respected, who was a very great player himself, telling me this, I got a putting mirror and I worked on my shoulders and got them more square to the target. And all of a sudden I'm making a lot more putts. Great. That worked. That was a simple fix. Sometimes, you know, you don't want to tinker with something that is, you know, to your point, if you have an unorthodox player who's getting decent results and you try and make them orthodox, 
then you stand to lose more than you gain probably. That's the flip side of this. It's like, is the alignment negatively affecting an impact parameter? If your path is 10 degrees to the right and you are aiming to the right, then that alignment is negatively affecting it. And so that can be a tool. And that's what I want everybody to get from this is alignment is simply a tool. It's a tool that you can use to change impact parameters, mainly path, mainly swing direction and path. And whilst everybody is always thinking and obsessing over perfection and, oh, I need to have it absolutely textbook, think of it more algorithmically in terms of if this, then that. Okay, so if your path is too far to the right, then you can aim more to the left if you want to. That is a tool and that is a very valid tool to use. Now, if someone's already aiming left and their swing path is to the right, that might not be the tool you would use. But if someone is aiming their feet and body to the right or lining their body up to the right and swinging right, then that is a more logical and low-hanging fruit tool that you could use. But think of everything algorithmically. If you need your patterns to be more to the left, if you need your path to be more to the left, you can align more left. And it can be non-textbook if you want it to, as long as it's not negatively affecting you. If you're having to line up so far left that you can no longer swing at speed or sequence your body half decent, then it's negatively affecting you. But, you know, you have to be pretty extreme to get to that point, I'll be honest. You know, there are guys like... What was the hockey player? Lee Trevino, you know, he he lined up his body to the left and played a kind of push fade onto the target. And there's so many golfers who played great doing that who would have played awful. They may not have been the player that they were if you made them line up perfectly. John, I've got one thing here that should have been right at the start. Let's hear it. <laughs> yeah, it's really important. Everybody, dramatic pause. <laughs> we shouldn't mistake an offline shot for poor alignment always. So lots of golfers, like I'll see a golfer, they'll line up pretty decent on the golf course and then they'll hit something way off to the right. And I'll say, what do you think happened? Oh, I lined up that way. They didn't. They just presented the face open. It was a bad swing. Now, this is really hard to determine. Was it bad alignment or poor alignment or a poor swing? But you can't say that every offline shot was offline alignment. You could line up absolutely the exact same and even textbook every single time and hit the ball all over the place. It's very possible because where we line our feet and we line our body, that doesn't dictate where the ball goes. The ball doesn't know where you line your feet or your body. The ball knows path and face. And so if you make a, you know, you can make a perfect swing path or impact, present the face open, the ball's going right. Next swing, present the face closed, the ball's going left. Your alignment could be perfect for each one of those. And on the flip side of that, you could get a tour player who's very instinctive like a Bubba Watson, and you could get him to line up way to the left and he'd still hit the shot on target, and then aim way to the right and he'd still hit the shot on target because he's got such a good mental connection with the target and he can feel his way back to it. So those are two ends of the bell curve there that kind of explain to people that not every offline shot was incorrect alignment or poor alignment. I mean, that gets to my thought that I've kind of developed over the years is that you know, other than impact, face control is the big deal for most players because like you said, Bubba could 
a line a million different ways, but he's going to figure out how to make his face point in a functional direction to yeah. match up to the target and his swing path because he's just that skilled with his hands and everything in his swing. Exactly. Whereas the player who struggles, who doesn't have good club face control, yeah, I mean, you could do all the alignment tricks in the world and that will not fix that. You're going to have some shots starting well to the right and well to the left. And that is the most frustrating part of this game, especially off the tee is where a lot of those big misses come from. So yeah, that is an important caveat because while we are saying that, you know, alignment is important, especially I guess the consistency of it, it cannot solve lack of the big three skills that we talk about. Exactly. Well, there's actually a drill. So on the topic of the guy who said, how do I recalibrate on the golf course? And just the whole idea of playing on the golf course. So you've got to have two skills, two really important skills when you're hitting online shots. One is lining up consistently, but the other is the ability to still get the ball on target, even if you're not lined up correctly. Because ultimately, we are humans. We're going to get on the course, and sometimes we're going to be lined up offline a little bit. And what I've found is better players have a better ability to compensate Compensate being a bad word, I like to think of it as positive variability. Better players, if I, say I put Tiger in a scenario and I make him aim 45 degrees right, and I say, Tiger, get that ball back on the target, he'd be able to do it. And then I make him aim 45 degrees left, and I say, Tiger, get that ball back on the target, he would be able to do it. He'd be able to feel his way back to that target. So not only does he have consistent alignment, But he also has the better ability to correct if he's not consistently aligned. And you can train this skill. So a drill I use, and this is advanced, so I wouldn't recommend this for beginners, certainly. But this is an advanced one that I use sparingly, is I will get a player to go through a gamut of aiming offline. I'll get them to aim 30 yards left, 20 yards left, 10 yards left. Then 30 yards right, 10 yards right, 10 uh, 10 yards right, 10, you get it, right, between 30 and 10 yards left and right. So they got a range of six different alignments. And we try and figure out how do they get the ball back on target from each one of those. And I've noticed better players are better at doing it. Amateurs, they struggle. Some amateurs, you'll aim them to the right and they'll hit it right. Some amateurs, you'll aim them to the right and they'll overcompensate and hit it way left. So they don't have the ability to compensate in the right amount. But what I've also noticed is players who train that drill and players who get better at that drill, they get better when they go back to being standard alignment. Yeah, that's, I mean, you're just describing skill right there. That is the the skill of golf is, you know, when you're saying aim 30 yards to the left and make it get back to your target. Well, okay, they're going to adjust their swing path and face presentation to make that happen without thinking about it. They're just going to do it. And that's, you know, you and me have both kind of communicated that in our own ways. Like I always described it as the type of play I did as a junior golfer. I think experimental practice, whatever you want to call it, where I would create these absurd scenarios for myself and try and get out of them. That was just a 12-year-old messing around and playing. Mm -hmm. And I think that gave me foundational skills that are still with me to this day. And I think adults have a hard time doing that in practice because it sounds ridiculous to most people. They just want to hit the same shot to the same target most of the time and hone that. But golf, maybe we're, we're veering off the path here. 
is a variable game. Every shot's different. And to your point is, and I've always felt this too, is, is the more you get outside of that box, the better it makes you inside of the box. Yeah. Your stock swing. Here's the analogy I would give. You know, which is safer, driving a Tesla or driving a normal car? The Tesla, right? Now, both of them, you are trying to stay within the lines, right? So that's analogous to you trying to line up the best that you can as consistently as possible. But also, you've got the Tesla helping you if you're to accidentally go offline. And that's the skill element. That's the ability to correct for yourself. I'd much rather have both of those abilities, really. I'd much rather have the ability to still get the ball on target if my alignment isn't perfect one day. And so, yeah, that's the analogy I'd give to people who say, well, I just want to drive straight. I just want to perfectly align. Yeah, great. Go for that. But also have the other ability as well because you're going to need it. You're a human. You're going to get on the course and one day you're going to be lined up slightly offline. But if you've got a good brain target connection and you figured out how to get the ball onto that target using that visual, it will serve you well. It's only going to help you. And that's, I guess, maybe our homework for everyone while they're practicing is, I guess we're, <laughs> I don't know no one knows about this block first random argument because it does pop up on Twitter from time to time. I made a statement the other day that got a fairly prominent instructor involved and he was saying like, oh, all of you are all about random practice. I said, no, I'm not. You're putting words in my mouth. I'm all for blocked repetitive practice, but at the same time, I guess what I said before, you get inside the box and outside of the box, so to speak, whereas you make yourself uncomfortable on the range, put yourself like for me getting on the right side of the range, trying to hit a target to the left side, and then you can go back to your normal shots too. And when you shift back and forth between those two, I think some things are going to happen in your brain where you're learning and developing that skill that we talked about, where if you ask Tiger Woods to hit 50 different shots, he would just immediately calibrate his swing path and his face presentation and alignment to make it happen because that is what better golf is. It just, it is, (laughs) it's that skill. And I don't think you could develop it as much by doing the same thing over and over again. Not to say you shouldn't. I think a healthy mix of both makes sense for a lot of players and have certainly nuanced based on their skill level experience and all that stuff. But we're just trying to give you different ideas. Well, the the drill that I gave is it would fall under variability practice. So it's it's where you're trying to do what you want, hit the target, but it just in different ways. You're lining up differently each time. Random practice is more, you can do the same thing over and over again, line up to your target in the exact same way, but you're just picking different targets on the range, basically, or you're using different clubs each time. So that's more random. And all of these things, they all work on different skills, effectively. So you can't argue one is better than the other. They're just working on different things. And yeah, you need a balance of all these things. So that would be my, you know, the the question we kept getting is how do you adjust on the course and all that stuff? That's my answer to that is that you just have to train yourself in enough different ways that when you get on the course, it doesn't feel that bizarre to you that the tee box is pointing in a different direction of where you're looking to start the ball in a line. Exactly. Yeah. And it depends for different people. Why are they bad on the course? Are they misunderstanding? Are they hitting an offline shot and thinking that they're aiming offline? In that case, they just need to understand the ball flight laws and understand, you know, control the club face better. Or is it a case like your guy where he's aiming to the right and he feels like he's aiming straight and he's hitting everything to the right? That's a perception issue. In that case, alignment rods on the ground is going to help and maybe doing block practice with that. 
Or if it's、yep. a case of someone is lining up differently each time because they're getting influenced by things on the ground, like the mowing lines or the tee box direction. If it's that case, then they need to go on the range and seek those situations out and practice randomly. So it's there's everybody comes with different problems and they need different solutions for it. But I mean, ultimately, everybody should practice all of these things to a certain extent. But I know we're very limited on time when we're practicing, and so. You know, you need to pick a more relevant drill for yourself, really. Yeah, and maybe one final caveat: expectation management thing I'll throw in there is that, you know, I often try and talk about being comfortable on the golf course and how big of a part of becoming a better player that is. Always a warning I give to people: if you can't play enough, you know, if you're someone who only gets to play once a month. That's not enough to overcome a lot of these issues, in my opinion. Yeah, you know, there's all these on-course skills and scenarios we have to deal with, pay attention to, and adjust during our practice, so that the next time on the course we're a little bit more comfortable with it. But yeah, dealing with tee boxes that make you uncomfortable, you know, you said mowing lines, you know, just all the weird stuff that happens on the golf course. You do have to be out there enough to feel comfortable. Enough that your alignment's not feeling out of whack all the time. It's just getting that persistent question we got on Twitter. Yeah, you kind of have to be playing enough, paying attention, and then challenging yourself enough in practice to get it honed in.、Yeah. And if you don't have the time, it's just yeah. It's, I guess it's just something you have to live with. It's just part of the game, unfortunately. I'm looking at the timer here. We're <laughs> oh dear, I got so、hour. much more to talk. I could talk three hours <laughs> about this stuff.、Yeah. We're we're at an hour and twenty three, and I just keep thinking about that guy who said, "How the hell are you going to talk about alignment and, and well, aim?" So, so many <laughs> targets for、too. an hour. Yeah, I mean, we could go ten hours. All right. So one of the important ones is ball position, and you mentioned this a little bit. So yes, with different clubs, we're going to tend to have different ball positions, especially relative to our sternum. So a driver, the ball is going to be more forward. You know, shorter wedges are going to be more below our. Sternum. Doing them, you know, center of our stance. So yes, if you move the ball position forwards, most people react to that by opening the shoulders, and vice versa.、Definitely. Say you're going to hit a real low punch shot, and you put the ball back in your stance, most people are going to bring their shoulders to a more closed position. So the way to counteract that, the way that you kind of neutralize those things, is through spine tilt. So if you put the ball forwards in the stance. What you need to do is actually tilt your spine away from the target slightly. You know, you get your left shoulder. If you had a club right across your shoulders, your left shoulder is going to point up towards the sky more, and your right shoulder is going to drop a little bit. Now, you don't want to do these to any extreme because we don't want to be putting our back in any position that could injure ourselves. So, just to cover ourselves here, consult a physician before you do any of this. You know, we're not liable for any injuries. <laughs> But yeah, ball position forward plus spine tilt away. The spine tilt away actually makes the shoulders more closed, or it can help us swing more from in to out. So it neutralizes that effect, and vice versa. If you have the ball farther back in the stance, you may need to actually tilt your spine a little bit more towards the target, and that will neutralize the effect of the closed shoulders. But even with that said, you know, for most people, they're going to swing a little bit more left with the driver than with other clubs, just because of the D plane stuff that we talked about. Which there's a whole podcast on this. I can't remember which one it was, John. I think we talked about swing path or swing direction or something. 
And we talked about the tilted Ferris wheel and how if the ball is farther forwards in that Ferris wheel, it's moving more yeah. left. And I and I said people were vomiting on the Ferris wheel <laughs> you're describing. That was our driver improvement episode, which okay. was very popular. Okay. So yeah, so in general with the driver, people swing a little bit more to left. So why not do what Hogan did as well? Hogan aimed his feet more to the right with the driver. He closed off his stance a little bit. Close off your shoulders a little bit to compensate. So all these things can help. If your ball is more forwards, the path is going to be more left. So just close off the shoulders, close off the stance, tilt the spine a little bit, add a little bit of all of these things to, until it brings it back to neutral. And vice versa, if you've got a wedge in your hands and you've got the ball farther back in the stance, you're hitting a punchy wedge in, you may need to open your stance a little bit. You know, just say aim a little bit more to the left. It's interesting that, you know, Hogan found that out before he even understood D-plane. And I read yeah, it in the Faldo I mean, book as well. I think a lot of things, uh, I'll choose my words carefully here. There's a lot of thing in, in Hogan's book where I think he admitted that they weren't even what he said. Mm. <laughs> and I don't think that is a how-to of golf, but I often think about that image of the ball position. And as the irons get longer and longer, it gets further up. Like that's just how I play golf. Like everything you're describing is like, I think you kind of just figure these things out over time where I know that if I'm hitting like a sand wedge, pitching wedge, it's more in the middle of my stance. I feel like my weight is more evenly distributed. That's how I maybe think of maybe that that gives me a more neutral shoulder plane. If that's the right word. And then as the club gets longer, I am moving the ball further and further up in my stance and I feel that tilt and almost the weight shifting to my trail side at a dress with that. And that's just, you know, after beating thousands and thousands of balls, like that's what I've kind of settled on too. It just made sense to me. But again, it doesn't work for everyone. But yeah, that is somewhat of a blueprint of ball position. Again, there's certainly exceptions. There's some people who probably put it back in their stance and trap it more and people who have it way up in their stance with their short irons. And yeah, you could live with that too. But certainly something to experiment with and keep track of. I think it's something to be aware of that lots of players yeah. who may say, well, I hit my irons quite straight, but my driver slices wildly. Usually I see that they've put the ball forward in this stance, which is correct, but they've adapted to that by opening the shoulders instead of tilting the spine to achieve those square shoulders. So yeah, in that case, as shoulder line is a very big dictator of swing path, having that ball farther forwards can make a slicer even worse. But for someone like you, who's a, more of a hooker of the golf ball or used to be, that could be okay. That could actually help you. Putting the ball farther forward in the stance would just make the path more neutral, which is not a bad thing, which you found, right? You said your path with the driver was actually more neutral than the irons. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I use the same formula. You know, you test, you verify, and then I guess you repeat. So especially with ball position, I know when I'm hitting a four iron or a five iron, I now know where I'm putting that ball versus where I am on the nine iron. And I'm not moving that around much. And I think that goes back to, I think, Scott Fawcett's point. You know, if you look at some of his videos on decade and his philosophy on practice, and I, I don't disagree with Scott on this, where he says, oh, that's where the blocked repetitive practice is important. You want that ball position perfect every time, making sure it's the same so it doesn't get out of whack on the golf course. I mostly agree with that. Like, I don't want to show up on the golf course and have four different ball positions with my nine iron or my four iron. I want it to be consistent to the spot that I know gives me the best chance of success. Doesn't guarantee it. That's 
you know, what I think about ball position, I guess probably about alignment as well is like, yeah, there is some certainly value to honing in on that position and making sure it's the same every time in practice after you verified through experimentation of what works for you. And then if things need to be adjusted, you can do that as well yeah. because golf changes. Plus a little bit of adaptability either side because you're on the course, the ball's in a divot, you have to play it back in the stands, it's above your feet, it's in the rough. Yeah, it's you know, all these exactly. things. <laughs> yeah, you're going to be on a hooked lie, you're going to be in a deep lie in the rough where you're going to want to get put it back in your stance to get your angle of attack more steep and get to the ball first. Like, yeah, there's all these... Sounds great out of flat lie, but yeah. we don't get flat lies on the golf course all the time. So that's the opposite to that argument. Well, this is the thing, right? It depends who I'm training. If I'm training a basic golfer who's going to go out there once a month, I'm going to tell them, right, here's your ball position. Here's how you set up to it. But if I'm training a more advanced golfer, or I really want to get that player better. I train them to understand it algorithmically in terms of if I do this with the ball position, then I'm going to achieve more of that. So it can be as simple as, right, if you move the ball back, then you are going to get a lower flight. You are going to get a steeper angle of attack. And then we may even go into things like the path may go a little bit more into out. So just adding these things on, I don't add it all on at once for someone. I know we do in a podcast because we're trying to be more all-encompassing. In a live lesson, I'm just going to drip feed this to people. But yeah, once they can understand these things algorithmically, they can coach themselves on the golf course. And they're, you know, they're in a bad lie in the ref, for example. And it's like, oh, well, I need a steeper angle of attack here. Okay, what creates a steeper angle of attack? Oh, if I move the ball back, that creates a steeper angle of attack. And they can also understand the other effects. It's also going to create a lower flight. So maybe I need to use a little bit more loft as well. So I always think of everything algorithmically rather than thinking of perfection And it's the same with alignment as well. Like so many people obsess over, well, what's the perfect alignment? Am I perfect with my alignment? Are my shoulders okay? And I think of it more as, well, what are you trying to achieve? If you're trying to achieve a more left path or a more left outcome, then these alignment things or these alignments can be tools to help you achieve that. You know, oh, are my feet perfect? Well, who cares really? Do you need that outcome to be a little bit more left? Then align a little bit more left, both mentally and physically. You know, don't just physically do it, but these are levers to pull. These are ways of changing it. Is your path too in to out? Okay, well, let's open the shoulders out a little bit more. Oh, well, aren't they too open now? Aren't they six degrees open? Shouldn't I have them perfectly square? No. If you're a player who needs to set up six degrees open with your shoulder to achieve a neutral path, then do it. There's absolutely no reason why you shouldn't do that. I really dislike the word square yeah. for, for so many different reasons. It's a reasons. man-made like when, construct. Well, let's just say people square the face at impact. I put this in my book, this scenario, The Four Foundations of Golf, currently out. I gave a scenario where someone squared the face at impact, and that was what they were told to do. But if your swing path was 10 degrees to the left, what are you going to get? <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah. yeah. You're going to get a really bad shot. You're going to get a shot that if it was your driver, it's going to start slightly to the left and then it's going to curve away from you in the opposite direction and you're not going to be happy with it. So this is it. If you tell 100 golfers to be square impact and they all achieve that, you'll probably make the vast majority of them worse because they've all got offline swing paths. (laughs) However, if you gave those same 100 golfers the algorithm 
And the algorithm is simple. If you need the pattern more left, get the club face more left at impact. If you need the pattern more right, get the club face more open at impact. If you gave those same 100 golfers that algorithm, all of them would get better if they do it. So that's why I like to think algorithmically and not perfectionism. Yeah, it's more of a teach a man or a woman to fish thing. If you, mm-hmm. if you give people at least a better understanding and i know you and i want to do more episodes on the ball flight laws and impact laws and all that stuff just because we feel it's important to understand these things because a lot of golfers just have no idea why their ball's starting in one direction and curving in another and certainly how alignment can play into that i've found that when a lot of players realize like oh if i get my face pointing a little bit to the left if i'm slicing the ball versus opening it more that can create a more functional ball flight because we were all told as kids, yeah, you want to hit a fade, open that face up. And it's like, for me, I just hit a push block. <laughs> it didn't work out well for me. Well, on that topic, There's a lot of things to match up. <laughs> on, on that topic, right, where people are going for perfectionism, pros don't lean perfect. So the average pro, the tour average, I have the data for this. The tour average, they aim the club face more than three degrees left at address. So even the best in the world, the average is not aiming on the target. There are some guys who aim six degrees or more left and some guys who aim the club face right at address. That's rarer, but it does happen. But they all return it to a functional place. This is a big myth, right? People think that where they set up with the club face, that's where they're going to return it. No, not at all. Where you set up is only only has a bearing on where you're, you're going to return it. You could set up with a club face 10 degrees closed and return it perfectly square at impact and vice versa. Like Tiger, Tiger set up with his putter face three degrees open, returned it nice and square. Where you return that club face is not where you set up for the vast majority of players, even the best in the world. It doesn't have to be. Say you get two players, right? You get player A who starts square with the club face, swings back and returns it square, right? And you get player B, Tiger, who starts three degrees open, swings back and returns it square. Most players, for some reason, would say player A is better because he's starting square because it's more textbook. No, it's a player who can repeat it. Player B, even though he's doing it in a less textbook fashion, if he does it more repeatably... If he does it more consistently, he's going to be better. So the ball doesn't know where you're starting with these things. So even, like I said, I say to people all the time, look, if your swing isn't crazy and you're suffering with the ball going left, 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 just open the face, address a little bit and grip it or vice versa. I do it. (laughs) I'm always making these small changes. Yeah, that's what I did for years fighting the the pull hook. I just flashed the face open more. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> and that was just experimenting. Yeah, for a long time. And I probably do it with my short irons more. I will address the ball with my face slightly open. Just because I've, again, experimented, verified, tested through years. And that's a matchup that works well for me. And I will do that. I change it each day. It's not consistent for me. You know, even throughout the round, I'll start out and if I'm hitting it left, I'll be opening the face at address. And if it starts going too far to the right, I'll square it back up. So I might start a round with a more open face and end up with a more square face. Very rare that I close the face for me because I, you know, my miss pattern is more to the left, but it's varying degrees of open. And I just base it on the patterns at the time, which can change throughout the round. 
Here's another one about setup and alignment that I just did in the last couple of weeks. I've been noticing a very healy pattern with my driver. We've talked about gear effect in other episodes. If I strike it on the heel, that is going to impart more slice spin on it. So for the last few tournament rounds I've been playing and I've just been addressing my driver with the ball closer to the toe. <laughs> and that's helped. Yeah, it's Crazy, just right? little adjustments. Oh, but John, shouldn't you be doing it the right way in air quotes? Yeah. Oh, screw that. <laughs> yeah. What else is on the list? We've definitely gone past our challenge. Someone, someone said half. things like about eye dominance. Does it affect alignments? Probably. So what? Yeah, the rules are still the same. I don't, I don't, I don't same. know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the rules are still the same. I saw that question about left eye, right eye dominant. I am not even close to qualified to answer that so i'm not even going to touch that one i don't know the thing i'd say on that right is left or right eye dominance is very static right someone's right eye dominant they're that way for the rest of their lives right as far as i know whereas people's perception of where they're aligned is quite fluid you know over the course of a year especially one year they could be aiming more to the right and another year they could be aiming more to the left so if eye alignment dictated where you aim then that wouldn't be the case so i don't look at it in terms of all right what's this person's eye alignment i just look at it in terms of algorithms again what does this person need more of okay well we can tweak alignment if it suits or we could tweak another variable swing variable so i yeah i don't like to think of right or left eye dominance it's not on my radar really i think we've addressed most of the questions i don't know if you do you have any more yeah someone said should i concentrate on the spot in front of the ball or should i concentrate on the target in the distance i would say there's no way of knowing that apart from testing yourself some players respond differently. I'm very much more aware of my intermediate target. Jack Nicholas is that way. Other players like Bubba Watson or Annika Sorenstam, they were more external. They were more thinking about their end target. So it's yeah, just that, a case that's of... Yeah, that's me. Uh, yeah, I'm go, looking way off in the distance. Yeah, go off and test it. Hit 10 yeah. shots and yep. see what on your alignment. You may find it doesn't make a freaking difference to you. You may find yeah. that you concentrate on neither. It may be a case that you, okay, when you're setting up and getting into the shot, you concentrate on the intermediate target. Then you may have a little look at the actual target, but during the swing, you might be thinking of something else. I mean, if you're shanking it on a day, you've got to be thinking of a shank relevant focus, really, to fix that. So, yeah, it's more of a what is relevant to you, what helps you perform best, which might be fluid. You know, it probably will be fluid for the most part. Someone said, what happens if you open or close the shoulders too much? Well, if the shoulders are too open or any of the body lines are too to the left, it's going to make your swing direction more left, which could be a good thing for many people. It could be a bad thing for some people. This depends on what you need more of. That will tend to make your low point more forwards. It'll make your path more left. So it'll make your angle of attack a little bit steeper. And it tends to produce a more open face to path. And so the reverse would be true as well. If your shoulders are too closed at address, it'll tend to make your low point more back. It'll tend to make your swing direction and swing path more to the right, more from the inside. And it'll tend to make the face more closed to the path in general. So that's how I, I see those things. Any other questions we had? I don't see any. Hopefully I didn't miss one. I think we, hopefully we covered everything yeah, we so wanted to discuss. Ladies and gentlemen, that's how you talk for an hour and 40 minutes about <laughs> <laughs> alignment, yeah. 
I mean, guys, okay, I did have an email the other day. I think I forwarded it to you saying, you should really make these podcasts shorter. Look, Joe Rogan talks for four hours about stuff. This is what people listen to podcasts for. They listen when they're on their way to work, when they're coming home, when they're going to the gym. It's just background noise. We're background noise. If you want to go into these topics and get more concise versions of it, then, you know, your book, John, or my products are going to go into these things. If people really want to go into the alignment stuff, and accuracy stuff, then the accuracy plan is for them. You know, it's much shorter, much more to the point. I give the relevant information. I show you the drills that you can use to improve all of these different things. So, yeah, these are deep Yeah, I think it's important. Yeah, we can, I mean, honestly, it's just our style. If you, if you wanted a golf podcast that did things in 20 minutes, we're obviously not the ones. And I think part of the reason is I do get a lot of emails from people, and I'm sure you do too, is that, you know, I realize everyone's situation is different. Like I'll get emails from female golfers or senior golfers and they're like, well, what about us? And I guess my answer to them is like, yes, potentially we could address specific golfers better, but we do have such a wide range of people who listen to this show that I think in our best effort, we're trying to cover every at least conceivable angle we can think of between you and me so that someone can hopefully get one or two ideas out of this and then go off to the practice range of the course and focus on that exclusively. Or they might get none and they just were entertained by the episode. And of course they can hit the stop button, whatever they want. So yeah, I guess that that is our style for better or worse. And if you've made it this far into the episode, then I guess you're with us. Well, these are just deep conversations on things that don't get talked about a lot because we're trying to explore every nuance. If you want the less nuanced versions, those are our, our products. But yeah, these podcasts are for all the nuances. But what I'll say on the, you know, people asking for individual information, I mean, the laws of physics don't care whether you're a female or a male, whether you're seven foot or three foot. The ground contact, face contact and face direction, the big three we always talk about, they don't change whether you're a tall pro or a complete beginner. Those are, those are the things that... Yeah, they're non-negotiable. Exactly. So a good place to end there, I think. John, where can people find you and your book and all your great information? Okay, so now I can plug my book. It's out at this point. It's The Four Foundations of Golf. You can find it on every major Amazon market. And of course, you can go to my website. I've discussed these topics probably in some articles, practical-golf.com. And Adam, where can you help people with all this stuff? Is this going out before July the 10th? Ooh, I don't know. It's June 15th. I can't guarantee that. I'd have to look at our our queue. Well, if you were lucky enough, you can have a look at my eight-week course, but... So I've got an eight-week course going out. But otherwise, the relevant information to this would be the accuracy plan. Accuracy plan, not the strike plan for this one, the accuracy plan. And that will be found on my website, adamyounggolf.com. So thanks to everybody for listening. Yep, and we will see you next time with a new episode.